0: Open your Bible once again to John chapter 3 this morning. And believe it or not, this morning we are coming to the end of John chapter 3. As I've looked back through my notes and our time spent, I believe we have spent nearly three months in this one chapter. But uh, our time has not been wasted. It's been necessary for us to, to spend the time here to make sure we understand just the mag- mag- magnitude Of Jesus' words to Nicodemus and their application to our own hearts and lives as well. We've needed every word of Christ. We've needed to meditate upon the richness of what it means to be born again, born from above. And I do believe, I think I can stand here today and say we are this morning, with God's help, coming to the final message of John chapter 3. And I do want to begin this message on John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36, which is our our text this morning, by pointing us back to John chapter 2, verse 23, and the entirety of John chapter 3. And here's the reason why. I want to go back and read the entirety of the text. Because I believe here in these closing verses, we have what amounts to be a final exam. What we have here in these verses is God's own final exam on what he has communicated in John chapter 2 verses 23 through John chapter 3 verse 30. Have you been listening to your king? Have you been listening to Jesus? And what he says is the gospel. And here comes the final exam. What have you done with it? What are you doing with it? The title of the Message God's Final Exam on John 2, 23 through 330. Do you believe? John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? but in order that the world might be saved through him. And Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing them. And John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put into prison. And now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, but I must decrease. You see, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, but he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. But Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, The wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your calling upon our lives to be your children. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, revealing your eternal plans and purposes for your glory to us in Jesus Christ, to glorify yourself by glorifying your Son who is the radiance of your glory in his person and in his work on behalf of those you sent him to save. Father, we fall on our faces before you. Salvation, as we see everywhere, is of the Lord. It's of you. Not of works, lest no man should boast. And Father, we have been exposed in this chapter. We are by nature Nicodemus. Nicodemus. We are by nature a people who want to help ourselves, who want to do it ourselves, who want to take even what you have done for us, and we want to reconfigure it as though we have done it, and we repent. And we come to you this morning, Father, having spent the past several months listening to our King over and over and over tell us that salvation is of you. It's from above. It's your work through your Spirit, through your Son, Upon us, all we must do is believe. Help us this day, Father. As we come to these closing verses of this chapter, it's as though you want to ask us now, have we listened? Have we heard? Are we going to continue in our old Nicodemus ways of claiming salvation on the basis of anything we've done? Or will we repent and cling to the hope of our place in your kingdom on the basis of Christ, on everything that he's done? And we do nothing. Christ is all. Will we believe it? Well, by nature we won't. Will you help us, Lord? Send your spirit this day that through your word it would have its intended effect to do stuff to us today. Expose us. Show us what you see. Jesus, the knower of all people who does not give himself to just anyone and everyone who claims him, help us to see what he sees of ourselves. And then wreck us. Agonize us. Make us uncomfortable. If we are attempting to earn your kingdom through anything other than Christ alone. Show us Christ. Show us his fullness. Show us his glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. By now we all have some good idea that John's gospel was written for a purpose. Going all the way back to the beginning of the sermon series, the sermon series began not with John 1.1, but with John 20.31, which is where John tells us the reason he wrote this gospel. And he tells us there, it was so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing we may have life in His name. Do you remember that? That's the whole purpose. Everything in John's gospel is that, that we would hear the claims of who the glory of Christ is. And we would be so enamored by Him, we would believe He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And believing, just believing He is and what He has done, believing we would have life eternal life in Him, not Him plus us, not Him and us doing our part, but we would have life in Him, in His name. John's been telling us from the very get-go, true life is available, that life that all men seek. That life, that joy, that satisfaction, that peace, that contentment, those those aspects of true life that that all men seek, but by nature are looking in all the wrong places. That life is out there, but it comes in Jesus Christ alone. In Him. In who He is and what He has done. And John's hope in writing this gospel By showing us the glory of Christ, the fullness of God's Son, the fullness of all that He has done, that we would become convinced that He is all. And that life comes only through Him and Him alone. The Gospel of John is all about revealing to us the glory of Christ, This is John's desire. It's not by accident we're in our prayer meeting. We're going through John chapter 17. It's not a mistake that John includes that prayer of Jesus to the Father. Where Jesus says, glorify me that I may glorify you. Makes sense why John would include that. Why? Because that's his whole purpose in writing the gospel. To reveal to us the glory of Christ. In John 17, Christ is praying that the Father would be glorified in what he does through the Son. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. Exalt the Son that through what the Son is about to do, hearts would turn to you and you get all the glory. That's that's the whole reason John is writing his gospel and including everything he's including. But... That kind of knowing the glory of Christ, that kind of believing that Christ is all, can only come by seeing and knowing and embracing and loving the glory of Christ. We can experience eternal life. That's Jesus' messages to Nicodemus. At the moment when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he does not have eternal life. He has eternal death. Even with all the right knowledge of Christ, all the right things he says, things that we would say, well, man, he's given testimony of being a true believer. Jesus, the one who knows all hearts, says, you do not have a place in my kingdom. You want eternal life. You want the kingdom of God. The Father has raised up the Son like Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness. Look to him. And him alone. Believe what he has done. This kind of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, can only come by seeing this Christ yourself. And that's what John is about. John Owen, the great Puritan preacher of days gone by, explains it this way. Listen to this. This is profound. This is gospel. This is the Apostle John. John Owen writes, Only a sight of his glory, the glory of Christ, and nothing else will truly satisfy God's people. The hearts of believers are like the needle of a compass, which cannot rest until it's pointing due north. So also a true believer will be magnetized by the love of Christ and will be relentless until he or she comes to Christ and beholds His glory. The soul which can be satisfied without beholding the glory of Christ that cannot be eternally satisfied by beholding the glory of Christ is not a soul for whom Christ prays. If you can be satisfied by anything other than Christ, you're not a true believer. Listen, you're going to have to let the chips fall where they may this morning. As we come to John chapter 3, these are not just a neat little closing to the book of John, uh, chapter 3. I'm portraying it as a final exam. You've heard what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You've heard what Jesus says about himself. You've heard what Jesus says about the work of salvation. You've heard God so loved the world. This God, he's done this. He sent his son. His son came for this reason. Look to Jesus. Behold Jesus. Even John the Baptist in his public ministry, as he sees his public ministry is fading away, he says, ho-hum, that's exactly how it should be that Christ would be exalted. He must increase. Now comes the final exam. You've heard all this. Is this true of us? Have you beheld the glory of Christ to such a way that He is all? Getting eternal life. I know how probably you were told because it was the same way I was told. Getting eternal life is not simply believing the facts of Jesus. I want to be very clear about that. The ABCs, however it was portrayed. Do you believe Jesus was this person? Yes, I believe. Do you believe Jesus did this? Yes, I believe that. Do you believe he rose from the dead after he was crucified? Yes, I believe that. Man, that's all you need. False. False. Nicodemus believed. Nicodemus believed true things about Jesus. Getting eternal life is not about believing facts about Jesus. Getting eternal life is about learning what the Bible reveals about Jesus, about his glory, about his fullness, about his majesty, about his godness, About his holiness, about his fullness, his work, and concluding. Who is this man? Who is this man? I have never known one like this man. He is glorious, He is beautiful, He is magnificent, He is perfect, He is everything, He is all. I've never heard anyone say the things like He says. And I must do whatever it takes to have Him. That's who the kingdom belongs to. What is the kingdom in the first place? It's a place where Christ dwells eternally. It's the place where Christ reigns eternally. It's where he rules. It's where he's the central figure. Why would anyone believe they have a place in that kingdom if there's not an affection for Christ? And this is God's message through Jesus to Nicodemus and to you and I. Listen to how John, the apostle writer, points his listeners, to this very truth, that those who lay claim to the kingdom of God are not those who know the right things about Jesus. It is those who are enamored and captivated by Jesus and in love with Him John says in one fourteen, the Word became flesh, the Word being Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Not we knew His truth. Not we knew a lot. of. We saw His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And He was full of grace. He was full of truth. We've seen it. We left everything to follow Him. Do you hear the difference? John 2. As Jesus was doing the the changing of the water to the wine at Canaan. John says this is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory. He manifested himself, his radiance, his fullness, his godness. He made itself known. He manifests the glory of God in himself. And the next statement, and his disciples believed in him. They believed in him, why? Because they sat in a theology class and learned, this is who Jesus is. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? No. They beheld his glory, and they believed. So what's John's goal in the whole of the gospel? To so so set the magnificence, magnificence of Christ before us that we would be stunned. Stunned by Christ. Stunned by his glory and find ourselves having seen Him, just spontaneously worshiping Him, falling down on our faces before Him, giving our lives to Him, selling off, trading off, giving off anything that's going to keep us from Him. Isn't that what Jesus is telling Nicodemus? You can't come to me and have me if you bring your morality, if you bring your religion, if you bring your good works. If you want me, if you want life eternal, which what does John tell us in John 17? What is life eternal? That you know you, the one true God, and your son whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is. Knowing God, loving God, loving Christ. If you want eternal life, which is Christ, if you want that, you cannot bring these other things with you. So how do we get there? Be stunned by Christ by who He is and what He's done. Well, I've taken a little bit longer than I intended this morning, but with that as a foundation, that's exactly what in these closing verses of John chapter 3, Jesus, uh, John is driving home. These closing verses are designed one more time here to reveal the glory of Christ And then when you get down to verse 36, say, okay, final exam. You believe it? Is this true of you? So what is the glory of Christ revealed in these closing verses? Begins right there in verse 31, John chapter 3, verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all. What's the glory of Christ revealed there? Jesus came from heaven as God. And I totally get it. For many of us, Christianity has been about knowing facts about Jesus. You're going to hear that and say, I know that. That's not the point. Has your heart been captivated, riveted, stunned by what is revealed about Christ here? Now, do you have head knowledge about it? Has your heart been enchanted by Jesus came from heaven and he is God? In the previous section to this, John the Baptist's disciples were disturbed. Why? More people were going to Jesus than were coming to John. John's ministry seemed to be fading away. It seemed like John's ministry was no longer fruitful. And they were going to Jesus rather than John. Jesus was being lifted up higher than John. We might see it that way. Jesus was receiving more glory than John was. To which John the Baptist replied, that's exactly how it's supposed to be. He must increase, but I must decrease. We spent our time last week looking at that text. And then here in verse 31 the Apostle picks up on that theme Christ must increase to lay just here's some here let's let Christ increase in our hearts. number one he's from heaven and he is God." You notice he says there in verse 31 as well "He who comes from above is above all he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way what's he doing there? He's comparing Jesus with everybody else. Jesus who came as a man, he's comparing, in verse 31, Those comparing Jesus with every other man who's ever lived from the earth. And he says, Jesus is not like any of them. Take the greatest man, woman, person who's ever lived. And Jesus is greater. Why? They were from the earth, born from the earth. They're human. Jesus is completely set apart. He's holy in this regard. He's come from heaven. He came as God to live among men. Here's where you got to battle, church. There's nobody in this room that doesn't know that. And there's a lot of people in hell who know that too. Jesus said it would be so. Is your heart captivated by the magnitude, the glory God, for who he is, came down to us, put on flesh, and lived among men. What is it that makes Jesus so glorious? He lived among us. He was a man, but he's not like everyone else. All other men come from earth and will one day stand before God. Jesus came from God, and he is God. Jesus, born of the flesh, in the flesh on earth, but he existed long before he was born, didn't he? He existed for all eternity. There was never a time that he wasn't. Christ has always been. John 1, 1 through 2, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is Christ, and the Word was with God, face to face before God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Friends, this is Jesus. And because of this heavenly origin, He is first in rank. He is, verse 31 says, above all. There's nothing to compare to this Christ. Nothing. We who are struggling to cultivate our relationship with Jesus, we who are struggling, and we all do, in God's Word, which is where we find Jesus, wrestle with this truth. Why, why am I finding it so difficult to spend time with this one who is so unique, one-of-a-kind, holy? There is none, literally none who can compare to this one. Why am I finding it so difficult To pursue Him when all these lesser things, lesser ones, are taking all of my time. What is that revealing about what we really, in our hearts, believe about the glory of Christ? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul contrasts the first man, Adam, with the second man, who is Christ. Christ. And he writes, the first man is from earth. The second man is from heaven. As is the earth, so are those who are earthy. And and as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have been born the image of the earthly." we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, Paul is speaking there of the resurrection and the work of the resurrection. We are earthy by nature, born of the earth. But the point John, uh, Paul is making here is everything we're, we're interacting with here is earthy, earthly stuff. But that which is heavenly has come from heaven. It's God. And John here is just simply saying, behold the glory of Christ. He's not like any other men. He's not from the earth. He has no human limitations. He is from above. He is above all. And this message about Jesus gets repeated all throughout this gospel. John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. We read that a moment ago. That's where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Why are you listening to all these preachers and teachers down here who are laying out for you? Here's what the gospel, here's what you have to do to get into the kingdom of God. When the man who came from heaven is telling you how to get to where he is. Who else is going to tell you the truth of what it means to be born again than the one who came from heaven? It's the glory of Christ. John six thirty eight. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John six fifty. this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that no one may eat of it, so that one may eat of it and not die. Over and over, we, there's various passages we could go to. Jesus is proclaiming his own excellency, that he is one from heaven, he is God. What makes Jesus glorious? Believers will spend all of eternity exploring the answer to that question, and each day will unleash new realities of Christ's glory. Previously not known, previously not fully understood, but from our vantage point this morning, just looking at John chapter 3, one of the things that makes him glorious. He's come to us from heaven, and he's God. Jesus' enemies heard this same message, and that's the whole reason they wanted him dead. Do we hear the message, and do we embrace it? Secondly, what is it that makes Jesus glorious? The increase of Christ. Number one, he came from heaven as God. But secondly, not only that, this is what makes Jesus glorious. He speaks as God. Again, I don't think there's anything here this morning that as i look around anyone's going to say i didn't or, i knew that that's not the exam the exam is is your heart captivated that when jesus speaks you're hearing the voice of god look at john 3 look at verse 32 he that's christ bears witness to what he has seen and heard and yet no one receives his testimony Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. As one who came from heaven, as one who is God, obviously it makes sense that Jesus bears witness to what he knows. (laughs) He knows heaven. He knows God. it's clear when he comes and he speaks, he can bear witness to something that nobody else can. He can speak to things that nobody else can. None of the religious leaders, none of the religious gurus, none of the people who tell you, we know, listen, just listen to us, we got the right answer. Those who give partial truth, none can speak what Christ can speak. You understand what John is saying here? When you hear Jesus, you're hearing God. He's the word that became flesh. The passage we opened our worship service up this morning, Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? You open up your Old Testament, thus saith the Lord, and he's communicating through Moses. He's communicating through Ezekiel, through Daniel, through Jeremiah. Long ago God spoke that way. But in these last days, new covenant days, he has spoken to us now one way, only one, by his son. His son whom he appointed heir of all things. What does that mean? It means everything going on, it goes to him. It's about him. It's for him. It's for Christ. Jesus is glorious. Because he is the word of God. He's glorious because what he says is not secondhand knowledge. We talk about that sometimes, you know, building a relationship with the Lord based on John MacArthur or John Piper or going to the bookstore, reading these guys books and you agree with what they say and you feel like that's your relationship with the Lord. I believe these things. No, it's not. And I struggle with this too. This was exposed to me a number of years ago and it was earth shattering by by another brother in Christ. I was like, oh my goodness. Most of what I believe is quoted from somebody else or at least how I would frame I believe it would be quoting somebody else. But with Jesus, he's not coming and quoting what he's heard from somebody else. He didn't receive it from a book. He didn't hear somebody else say it. He's the source. He's the source of it. What Jesus says, there is no higher origin. He is God and he's the source. And everything he utters is God's own word. And that's why even in this morning's prayer meeting, we read, Jesus pray to the Father, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. They believe I am everything, that I am all, that all of your purposes find their amen in me. They heard the message. It's about Christ. And they believe it's all about Christ. But for us, the question is, do you believe that? And here's the reality. Most people won't. And I think even in this room, we have to be real honest. Most people won't. Now, I pray that's not true. I pray that in this group, as I look out to the number of people we have, I pray that, God, please, that it's not that most people won't believe this, but by and large, that is the truth. Look at verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet, what? No one receives his testimony. No one. Zero. Not you, not me, not Martin Luther, not Jonathan Edwards. No one. But look at the next verse. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. What do you make of that? You do see what's going on there, don't you? Verse 32, Christ reveals the word of God and no one receives it. Verse 33, but whoever does receive it. Seems to be conflicting there, seems to be contradictory. What's going on here? exactly what John said in John chapter 1 Christ came to his own his own people did not receive him none of his people received him but then the next phrase but to all who did receive him it's like like mental gymnastics here what in the world no one received him but to all who did well let him commentate and explain but to all who did receive him who did believe in his name He, God, gave the right to become children of God who were born, be listening to John 3 here, born not of blood, not of the will of man, nor the flesh, but of God, but of God. No one believed, Christ came, his own people rejected him, no one, everyone rejected him, no one received him, but to those who did receive him, how did anyone receive him if no one did? Because they were born of God. God did a work in them that they didn't do themselves. Is that not Jesus' message to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Same thing here when we come to this passage. Verse 32 He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. But whoever receives this testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. How do those things go together? It's this. The only people who will receive the message of Christ are those who see the glory of Christ. And who's going to see the glory of Christ? Nobody. Except those to whom God births from above and opens their eyes to see Christ. Only those who are, by the grace of God, born again. No one else will have eyes to see it. No one else will have eyes to see the glory of Christ. Unbelievers see all kinds of things. Good things, not just bad things. Religious things, moral things, spiritual things. Unbelievers go to church every single week, even our church. And they can do great things, but they can't do this, and this is the hinge. They can't see what we true believers see, and we can't shake them, we can't make them. They can't see the glory of Christ. They can know about Him. They can say right things, but they don't see it and know it and captivated and find Him precious and find Him beautiful and trade off everything to have Him. Which is what John has been saying. That's what it means to be a true believer. Those are the ones who have eternal life. That's what salvation is. You've got to see the glory of Christ. The gospel is not be religious. The gospel is not go to church. The gospel is not be baptized. The gospel is not pray this prayer. The gospel is Christ. And what the Father has accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in the resurrection, the forgiveness of the sins of His people, and then God opening the eyes of the true believers, His people, and saying, look, I've manifest my glory to you, my holiness. You've seen yourself against the backdrop of my holiness. You have no hope, but look at this. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, look at my son lifted up upon the cross. Look, see, not no, not do you agree with this, do you agree this historically happened, but do you see here is everything you need. Look at the beauty and the majesty of what's happening here. Your record of wrong is placed upon this individual. His record of right is given to you. Don't do anything. Believe. Fall on your face. Do you see the beauty of Christ? Oh, I see. What must I do to have that? I have no hope apart from that. I can't be good enough, religious enough, moral enough, spiritual enough, preach enough messages, find the right church, be at the, uh, attend church enough times. What must I do to have this? God so loved the world, He sent His only Son, that whoever just believes, just believe see, behold, and believe will not perish and have everlasting life. Those to whom God opens their eyes and spiritual ears to hear His voice give the testimony. What? Verse 33. God is true. What God said is true. Not what I thought is true. Not what I've lived my whole life upon is true. Not what my parents told me is true. Not what that well-intending preacher when I was younger taught me is true. God is true. God speaking through His Son, Jesus, about the new birth, about who the Father is, about who He is, about who I am, about God is true. question for you and I this morning is this, are we listening to Jesus? The bulk of John chapter 3 has been Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. The bulk of it has been Jesus' own voice to you and I. This is what salvation is. Nicodemus, I know what's in the heart. There's a lot of people who give themselves to me in various ways. I don't give myself to all of them, and here's why. I know what's in their hearts. Nicodemus, I appreciate all the right things you're saying. Man, you could be a Sunday school teacher. You are a teacher. But you don't have a place in the kingdom. You need to be born again, born by God, born by his spirit. Have your eyes open to behold Christ. Listen to Jesus. And obey. Why? Verse 34. For he whom God has sent, that's Jesus, utters the words of God. And why does he do that? For he gives the Spirit without measure. What he means by that is this. God has always authored and preserved his word. Like going back to the Old Testament, we have the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. Well, how do we know that that's authoritative? How do we know that that's inspired? Well, God gave his spirit to Moses for the writing of those five books. It's spirit inspired. Moses wrote. He wrote from his own personality. He used his own language, but he was guided along By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to him in that moment for that specific purpose. Well, Hebrews 1 says, but now in these days, God has spoken through his Son. Well, God didn't give the Holy Spirit to Jesus just for the task of authoring the New Testament. God gave the Holy Spirit to his Son in fullness. Jesus was the Spirit-inspired, Spirit-filled man. And when Jesus spoke, whenever he spoke, whatever he spoke, he spoke the infallible words of God. Why? Because he is possessed by the Holy Spirit in its fullness. Do you hear the difference? What was true of them in the Old Testament temporarily for the purpose of communicating the word of God in Christ? Because he is the word, he has the fullness of the Spirit. There's the glory of Christ for you right there. Don't rush past that. Don't let that just kind of, oh, that's neat. I never thought about that. Uh Uh-uh. Fall on your face because of who Jesus is. This is the glory of Christ. He's from God. He's from heaven because he is God. He speaks for God. And very quickly, lastly, Jesus rules as God. He rules as God. This is the glory of Christ. Verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. I mean, you just can't, there's not a whole lot of commentary that needs to be made on that. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He's saying Jesus should be thought of the same way the Father is thought of, the same way as the Spirit is thought of. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his nature, who upholds all things by the power of his word. Hebrews chapter 1. All things have been given to Christ. Question, who is supreme? If all things have been given to Christ, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand Who reigns supreme in the universe? It's Christ. Now, that's not just a trivia question. Does your heart flutter? Spiritual heart. At the magnificence of Christ. Everything in heaven, on earth, in the galaxy, spiritual, material, everything made by Him, By him, for him. He is the centerpiece. Colossians 1 says Christ is the creator of all things, and here, among other places, all things were made for him. He is all, this is his glory. He rules and reigns with authority over all things. So, as Christ must increase, John uses the statement of John the Baptist there to say, and here, let's let Christ increase. Christ came from heaven as God. Christ speaks as God. Christ rules over all things as God. Final exam. Verse 36. Whoever believes in what's been said here, chapter 2, verse 23, through chapter 3, verse 35. Whoever believes in the Son as it has been presented here has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son, whoever does not take these truths about the majesty, the glory of Christ, who does not obey them. Live under them. Live with regard to the beauty, the majesty, the supremacy of Christ. Well, for that individual, they shall not see life. And the wrath of God remains on him. Here's the final exam. We've spent a lot of time in John chapter 3. Don't let it be for naught. When you come face to face with the glory of Jesus, which is what's been presented in John 3, it's one of two things will happen, faith or unbelief. The takeaway for some may be, thank goodness, I didn't think we'd ever get out of John chapter 3. We've spent months of my life here in John chapter 3. I'm ready to get to the the woman at the well. Let's get to the Samaritan woman. You missed it. The one who's been speaking in these verses is God come from heaven to reveal to us the only way into the kingdom of God. And it's not of works. It doesn't include anything that Nicodemus brought with him or anything you and I bring with us. It's Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection. And you'll either... Look back on John chapter 3, hearing with the eyes of faith, and say along with what Jesus said, God is true. What God has communicated through Christ here is true. I began this series, or I began at one point in my life, I was Nicodemus. I was religious, I was moral, I was spiritual, I was a church attender. And if anyone were to ask me, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I I prayed the prayer. I go to church all the time. I do this. I do that. Nicodemus could have done all that as well. Or something of the like. And yet Jesus says, you must be born again from above. How can this thing be? Jesus, how do you not know this? I've been telling you this since the Old Testament. Behold my son. Look. Don't do anything. Believe. You'll either repent of everything. Listen to me. Repent of everything. Your sin, sins of idolatry, sins of pride, sins of unbelief. And you'll repent of your goodness, too. You'll repent of your church attendance. Stay with me for a minute. I'm not saying church attendance is bad. I'm saying it doesn't merit anything before God. You'll repent of your goodness. You'll repent of your morality. You'll repent of all your good works that somewhere in your heart you have banked on. Well, God's pleased with me because of these things. Wrong. The pleasure of God is found only in his glory through the Son. You know what pleases the Father? He tells us. The Son. And when you and I stand face to face before God, you do not want Him going through your record of good works, You don't want a holy God who demands perfection going through your church attendance and tasting of your heart and your spiritual life and saying, I see what you did, but I look at the heart. Let me taste and see. I know what's in the heart. You don't want this holy God. What you want him to find is, woe is me. I have nothing. If you look at me, I have no hope. All I've got is what you said. Christ I've got his record of righteousness and my understanding is he took my record of wrong and I've banked my everything upon that everything and if this if God if you are not true I have no hope but I have banked my life on this you're true and this is what you said and for me because of what you said Christ is everything, I got nothing else, nothing else. Here's your final exam, do you believe? Have you repented of everything? Yeah, your bad stuff, but also your good stuff. Repent of your right thoughts about Jesus. Again, not because it's wrong to have right thoughts. But those don't merit anything before God. We want right thoughts about Jesus. But even our right thoughts are inadequate. There's room to grow as we behold his glory more and more. John is offering up this closing verse as a warning to those who read his book. There's still time for you Nicodemus type people. And there's probably a lot of us. There's still time. Rest in Christ. Look to Christ. Seek the glory of Christ. And when you see him, when God gives you the eyes to see, it's a good time to repent of everything else. John Owen said this in close. No man shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight in heaven, who does not in some measure behold it by faith in this world. The gospel is Christ beholding him. Do you? Maybe this morning you need to cry out and pray, God, open my eyes. I hear this message And I'm battling years and decades of false teaching. You're going to have to do this. And that's the right prayer to pray. And if God has given you eyes to see, then continue to pray, God, don't stop now. Show me more. Help me behold the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the test. Now, how do you grade?